Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. Well, welcome back, everybody. Really excited for our guest today, who is known as a transformer. She's known as a team builder and really, truly as a trailblazer, having accomplished many firsts in her incredible career, which we're going to dive into here. You've seen her on CNBC. You've seen on the NFL Network. You've seen her on many different TV venues. I can't believe she's here, actually. I feel like I'm with like, like, a, like a rock star. But she grew up in Alabama. So Southern Alabama, football was big, real big there. Her brother, she went to Auburn, which uh, you know is a great school, big football school. Her brother went and played football at University of Alabama. So she can't even imagine what Thanksgiving was like in that household with the two rivals going at it. But I've heard it said that her dad knew that he'd have a kid in the NFL someday. He, he just, he was convinced and he was right. He just got the wrong kid. <laughs> <laughs> the right kid was, of course, Michelle McKenna, who we all know and love as the first CIO of the National Football League. And also, Michelle, if I remember right, the first female executive at the NFL. Is that, is that right? Uh, first female C-level. Yes, at the top. Yes. Wow. Fantastic. Well, well welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's exciting. You know, this is the first time, Michelle, I was thinking, this is the first time in 10 years that you haven't been in the trenches, in the room, like during the NFL. What's it like? Are you going through detox? Are you, what, what's going on there? I am detoxing a little bit. I am certainly enjoying being a fan, but just like I could never go to Disney and be just a regular guest, I see everything that my eye takes me to. And I'm excited because tonight is the first over-the-top streaming game ever for the NFL. It's going to be Thursday night football on Amazon Prime only. And so even though I'm not responsible for that stream or making it happen, I caught myself yesterday emailing the executive producer and we chatted and I'm just so excited to be doing this finally. So while I'm not in the day-to-day, I think I'll always be part of that NFL family and they were so good to me and have made me feel still included. Although it's nice to know that I'm not going to get a call from officiating about something going wrong <laughs> this year. You had a lot of interesting calls over the years with a very, very, very broad set of stakeholders, which we'll unpack. We'll see if we can get you telling some stories today about, about that. And, you know, your leadership journey, we talked about the NFL, but also great stints with in the hospitality industry with Universal and Disney. We'll get into that. And, you know, you are in a high profile role in a high profile organization and you work for a pretty high profile CEO, the commissioner of NFL, right? And, you know, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, basically says some really incredible things about you. On your website, the McKenna Collaborative, he says in a, in a video, during the interview process, you laid out a 10-year plan to transform the mindset of the organization. I love I love that. He talked about how you advance the game through technology and how you transform 
the stadium experience, the game experience, and the fan experience. And then one thing he highlighted, which I really appreciated, you have a strong understanding of the human dynamic and something that a lot of CIOs still struggle with. Tell us a little about what those comments mean to you and maybe a little bit about your NFL story. It was so great to hear Roger say those things when he made that video for my website. And if I think back to our interview time and when I interviewed with Roger, I did lay out a 10-year plan and thinking about it, that was sort of crazy to commit to something for 10 years. But I was very passionate about football and I was very passionate about sports in general and where it was headed. And I felt like I needed to show him a journey that the NFL could go on. So in the interview process, I built, we ended up calling it the wheel, but it was basically a, a wheel that sort of dissected all the parts of the NFL, the game, the fan, the stadium, and the business processes that underpin a business as large as the NFL. And then with each part of that wheel, I used this cool presentation tool that at the time, I don't think anyone had ever seen it. It was called Prezi. And you could click on that slice of the wheel and it basically took you on a journey. And so I think that's why he remembers that so well is that I told him and showed him what it looked like today. And then I painted a picture of what it could look like in five years and in 10 years based on what I thought was happening in the world of sports and in the world of entertainment and what technology could provide. So that was what I sold. I got the job, so I must have done a good job selling. And when I was leaving, I was having my goodbyes and actually went to say goodbye to our CFO and he reached down in his bottom drawer and he pulled out my wheel. No because way. I had laminated, I made a laminated placemat and left it for each person I interviewed with, with my name and instead of a resume, that's what I left behind. And I think that was very impactful. And then I just went about trying to make it happen. I think this kind of gives us an idea of the strategic nature of how you operate, the way you think, but also the human nature and just knowing how to tell a story, tell a narrative to be able to communicate a vision in a very big way. My, my good friend, Mitch Davis, is the CIO at Dartmouth College. And one of, one of the great Mitchisms, he always advises his mentees, don't take the job they're offering, shape the job you want. Right. So you were the first ever NFL CIO. So how did you shape that role? How did you create the narrative so that, you know, you weren't a cost to cut, that you weren't in that order taking box? Yeah. I mean, I really actually had to transform it before I joined because the job was originally posted as a vice president of IT infrastructure, I think was the title of something along those lines. And by this time, I had already been CIO of, you know, a large Fortune 500 company. And I certainly didn't want to go into a job where I wasn't the CIO. So I really had to, in the interview process, just describe what a CIO is and does and what I could bring and have them change the job rec in order to hire me. And then I would told them I would go and fill the positions like head of infrastructure and, and things. And so I started with setting it that I would be different than what they had seen in the past. So I think they were a little ready. But then Roger said to me many times when I would have frustrations or be stuck, he would remind me, you have to teach us what a CIO does. We've never had one of you. So don't be discouraged when someone doesn't want to include you in the conversation they are just not sure what you're doing there. And they want to know, why is she in my business? What is it that she can provide to me? So 
I had to find ways to add value quickly so that they could understand it would be to their benefit to include the CIO in their long-term planning and build the relationships of trust that have to exist. Exactly. I mean, you you more than doubled the CIO tenure, Michelle. I don't know if you've ever done that, done that math, but obviously you're doing something well in terms of how technology could impact the game, the stadium, the fan experience. You have a story, you and your team, that was pretty remarkable. And the NFL draft is a big deal, right? There's a lot of buildup to it. But that was at risk back in 2020, right? So take us back there. What was your story and how did you manage through that and still pull it off? It was a moment of maybe the proudest moment of my career, of my team and what we did. And it started with the fact that the draft has always been my favorite NFL event, even above the Super Bowl, because it is a moment when lives are changed, when people who could never dream about doing some of the things for their families. And then all of a sudden they have this opportunity. So I was always a big fan of the NFL draft and loved when the NFL decided to let fans really experience it by taking it on the road and going to various places. So coming up on 2020, it was going to be the largest in-person fan event we'd ever done for a draft. And it was set to be in Las Vegas and the stage over the beautiful fountains right there at Bellagio, right on the strip. And so how that all happened, it, that went from that's the event we were planning. And then three to four weeks out, we realized, oh, well, we're not going to be able to gather together. And then went, boy, things moved fast. Then as all companies around the world started scrambling, we realized, wow, not only were we not going to be able to gather anyone everyone had to be separate. So the coaches couldn't even be together. The GM and the owner couldn't be together. And the prospects whose lives were about to change needed to be in their homes. Just give us the scope. There's how many owners and coaches and then how many prospects? What's the scale there? Yeah. So there are 32 teams. with So that's 32 primary owners. And then each team was required to have both their general manager and their head coach on camera, as well as any shots of other supporting scouting people that we thought would make a good broadcast. So that's that group. And then you look at the prospects and normally you would invite 15 to 30, whoever's going in the first round, you hope you get all of them. So that's a first round. Every team gets one pick. That's 32 that you invite live. And then you have in-home peek-ins on a normal broadcast of maybe another 60 players or colleges and things like that. So all of a sudden, we had to do a broadcast with hundreds of individual feeds that were not broadcast feeds. And it had never been done before over broadcast television. And it was a classic example of it not really being a technology problem as much as it was a logistical and human problem. And the reason I say that is, if you think about it, we're having a great conversation right now over a stable internet connection. And yes, we might have a glip here or there, but for the most part, we can do what we do, but to put it at the level of stability necessary for a broadcast, live broadcast, that took to a whole nother level, meaning we can't be in the middle of interviewing the first round draft pick and have all of a sudden someone in his home start playing 
some streaming game and take his internet off. And so it became this long list of everyone and, and what did we need to put in their home and how would we do it? And um, myself and Peter O'Reilly, Peter O'Reilly runs all of the major NFL events. We led this team of people to try to figure out how to do it. And, you know, it's not like you get asked or tasked to say, hey, Michelle, you're the CIO. This is your responsibility. We were ideating and ideating about how in the world we were going to pull it off. And every day we ideated was one more day we weren't executing And so at some point you have to call it and say, it's not perfect, but it's the best of our options. And we've got to all agree and start rowing in the same direction without a detractor over there saying, no, no, I don't think we should do it this way. We got everybody on board. And that's kind of what I ended up being was just this master logistics planning person. And so we decided we needed phones. Look, you get great quality video off of iPhones So we needed hundreds of iPhones. Every player needed to have two. They needed to have their one that shows their living room and the shots like that. And then they needed to have an interview one. And they had to go up and put the headsets in and be ready to take an interview. And just coordinating that all. I mean, what I ended up doing was having, you know, I had to call every head coach and every GM and explain to them why this was happening and they had to be there. Yes, they had to be on camera. And then I got to meet all of the prospects and the prospects who would say, wow, the prospect can't be responsible for managing this on the day. So I'd say, okay, who's going to be your tech manager on that day? And oftentimes it would be their mom. And I love that. I love sitting and talking to a mom and saying, all right, mom, here's what we're going to do. And here's my cell phone. And I'm going to text you when we're coming to you. And you've got to make sure. And so I got to meet so many. Uh, We sent these, we made these draft kits up. We had to make them up in our individual homes. We had over, we had to make a hundred initially. And so we, which went to every player And the kit had a light, two phones, microphone, backup battery power, a real microphone to pick up, you know, great sound. And then we had a video that we recorded to explain how to put it all together. And then I did a test call with every prospect. And one of my favorite ones was Jordan Love, who is a player now in the NFL. He came on camera and he was excited and we were waiting for Roger and Troy, Troy Benson is the uh, head of football ops and Roger, the commissioner to come on. And this was an introduction. This is how we came up with getting them to test and be there. Like if I wanted to test, I'm not so sure they were, they would show up. So I said, this is your chance to meet the commissioner and head of football. And Jordan was on, he was early and his thing was set up perfectly. And I'm giving him kudos for having everything set up. And he accepts the congratulations. And then I hear his mom in the background go, you didn't set it up. I did. (laughs) Right, mom. I know. And Jordan turning around going, mom, I'm on with the NFL. Like, (laughs) get out of here. And so all of those little personal moments were really what made that draft so special. And the fact that our commissioner went with it, Roger filmed from his basement and it was not going to be what he was used to. And Instead of resisting it, he went with it and improvised and started moving things around on his bookcase to see if people noticed. It was just a, I don't know, once in a lifetime kind of thing. And I'm so proud that I was able to be part of history, really. Absolutely. And I can see why Roger also would talk about you 
your ability to connect the focal points that others can't see, right? So how'd you build that muscle? How do you build that muscle in your team so that you're more looking around the corners, those innovative anticipators or what I call them versus getting stuck in that order taking realm? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think you have to have a lot of courage and curiosity in your career that you like asking the why questions. You, you, you don't shy away from why is something this way? And someone that can ask that in a way that is not threatening, but actually brings people to wonder the same is really how you get technology to not just be implemented, but be embraced and part of their whole world. And at the end of the day, it's about human. A tech project should never be about the technology. It should be, what does it do? If it's fan facing, what does it do for the fan? If it's a new finance system, what does it do for the payroll clerk? What, you know, it's got to be about the user experience and how technology can be seamless and actually not that noticeable. It, technology done really well. No one sits and says, wow, that technology was amazing. What they say is, wow, that experience I had or that was a great experience. And that is often so the way I developed that muscle was, you know, growing up at Disney, Disney was all about the guest experience and never would you do something that and I developed that muscle by always thinking that. And so I naturally think it. So I asked my teams to always put themselves in the shoes of the person they're serving, who their client is, how it'll feel for them and try to speak to them in their language and work to get them to be a champion of it. That way you're not an order taker. Um, because if you're an order taker, and I always love, it's a, a, a saying old as time, but people used to say that Henry Ford said, if you ask people what they wanted, the order they would have gotten were faster horses. And you would have gone and built the faster horse or bound a bay to breed a horse if you were just an order taker. But Henry Ford, when he heard somebody wanted a faster horse, he's like, okay, they want to go faster. It doesn't need to be a horse. I actually can build a car. And that is something that's kind of hard to teach, but you can practice it. And even the most introverted of engineers who say, oh, I'm not a people person like that. No, you, you are and you should be. You should never just accept a coding, like code this. You should ask why you're coding it. What are you building? Why are you building it this way? And if a leader doesn't take enough time to tell you your questions and answer them, then maybe you're not working for the right leader. I mean, it's that important to me. And I think it's a very common element to people who've been successful leading transformation. Well, proof in the pudding, right? I mean, you... You grew up on a family peanut farm, just to get a little personal here in, in South <laughs> Alabama, in one of those great little communities that people just don't leave, right? You, you did. And so, you know, when you think about your career, you think about that, talk to the young people who are listening, the up-and-comers in our profession, just kind of double-click on that curiosity, that courage, moving out of your comfort zone, taking the shot, right? Throw the pass. How would you encourage them? Yeah, you know, it is a saying that I've heard often, which is if you can see it, you can be it. And I think in a lot of cases, if you haven't seen it, like a little girl in Alabama, I had never seen a female senior executive, like it just didn't, I didn't see it or know it. I will say this, growing up, a peanut farmer became president of the United States. And Jimmy Carter was the president. And you can debate 
whether he was a great president or not. But what it said to me as a little girl, like living in the middle of nowhere, wow, this guy went to the White House. That must mean there's a way out and this must mean I have opportunities. And so one piece of advice is to look around and look for other examples. And hopefully more and more, you will still see people who look like you. And it's our responsibility to make sure we give opportunities so that people can see it. And then you do have to have a good bit of courage and be willing to fail and realize that failure is what you make it. And failure, not getting what you wanted or not getting a role you auditioned for or not getting the job or frankly, getting fired from a job. All of those are failures in some respect, but it's about how you twist it internally and, and make all of those challenges more learning and say, how can I, or how, if I could do something different, what would I have done? And then sometimes you accept that, Hey, this just wasn't a right fit for me. Like I, and that's okay too. You should have most conversations with yourself and I talked about it at the session you hosted at the CIO 100, which I call it the toothbrush test. And the most important person you need to motivate and talk to and understand and know is the one in the mirror. And when you are looking at yourself in the mirror as you brush your teeth, if you can't meet your own eyes and you catch yourself diverting them, there's probably your inner voice telling you you're uncomfortable about something or there's something going on internally. And I, you know, I often tell people quiet everything down and try to listen and then be brave enough to go for what it is you hear. And I think the reason a lot of people end up where and feel like it's a dead end is they didn't give themselves permission to do deep down. And so I admire any young person who pursues a path that is not popular or hard to do. And, you know, you're going to get a lot of rejection over time. And I just say, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? And, and that's how I've lived my life. And that's how I got from a peanut farm to Park Avenue, basically, is it wasn't a straight line, boy, it's a bumpy one. And I had a lot of dips and a lot of disappointments, but it can happen. So. Yeah. Great example. Very inspiring. And you know, speaking of the farm, there's those bet the farm moments that are in the career, that are in your job, right? And things like that. You know, one of the things you're known for is bringing great confidence. But more importantly, I'd say is instilling confidence. You bring great energy, but more importantly, the ability to energize. So can you just maybe talk about that, how you're intentional about those things as you're leading organizations? Yeah, I'm very intentional about people understanding that I want them to be themselves. I want them to bring all of themselves to work, not just their work self. So I really try very hard to understand and know um, everyone in a way that I can motivate them individually. I recognize that what one person needs could be very different than another's. And that is just being in tune to the human condition of what motivates one person doesn't motivate another. And I think I instill confidence because I build a confident team. And when you build a confident team and you make your teammates believe that they can do it, and then all, then you just have to be the leader, which just have to be. It's not like it's easy, but it's much easier to lead a group of people who believe in themselves 
And then once I have a team that believes in themselves, I can take that call like I got from Roger right before we were really saying the draft and how we were going to do it. He said to me, this is going to work, right? There was only one answer to that, and it was yes. And I didn't know a million ways it was going to, but I did know I had a confident team that were the best at what they did. And therefore, you know, through our sheer will, we were going to make it happen. And so I answered it. Yes, very confidently. And then he's like, okay, that's all I need to hear. And then we went about our, uh, our business. So, and we did it. So that's awesome. That is awesome. You talk about everyone's got a different motivation. You've got to connect with people on different levels. You have a story around that that is going to be in your book, which I want to talk about here in a couple of minutes. But would you mind sharing your Super Bowl 51 on the field? How you watch that in action? Yeah, it's what an incredible moment. That was uh, the Patriots and the Falcons. And at half, the Patriots were losing 28 to 3. It was a pretty shocking outcome. The game was over, right? It was boring. It was like the biggest nightmare for you NFL executives. We we were bored up in, you know, the Central Command Center. We were worried people were going to tune out. We knew halftime was going to be watched. Lady Gaga did this amazing performance. And that is what had me end up being on the field is because her performance was quite extensive and there was a stage built on the field. And we have a lot of fiber that connects the game side technology. At that game, I literally had members of my team under the stage while she performed to protect the fiber, not getting pulled or broken or rolled over so that we could start the game back as soon as the stage was cleared. And so I just went down there to give them moral support. Like I know that must have been crazy being under the stage with Lady Gaga. And so I wanted to see them when they came out from under the stage and cheer them on and So I ended up being on the sidelines of the Patriots and I was standing right behind the bench because that is a critical place where the fiber joined. And I was making sure everything came back up. I said, I'll stay, I'll stay down here for a few minutes, make sure all every system comes back up and then I'll go back to my seat. But what I witnessed in that time that I was standing there was the leadership of Tom Brady. And when he came out from halftime, I watched him speak to every player that he needed to speak to. And what I took away from it was not exactly what he said, but how he said it. And some people got an encouragement like, uh, hey, man, you can do it. You know, you got to think about this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. And one of those was Edelman. He had been throwing to Edelman the whole first half and Edelman had been dropping everything. And he was saying to him, I am going to keep throwing to you. I am not afraid that you can't catch it. I know you can. I know you'll do it when you need to. He was giving that kind of talk. Some guys got a in your face screaming with a few maybe little words here and there that weren't good for prime time, but basically saying, you know, the plan, you know what you have to do. You have to go do it. And then some needed a little teaching and he picked up the tablet and sat down and actually reviewed plays. So he took a different approach and then he led them all out into the field and they engineered the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history with Edelman catching the pass that sent the game into overtime and they ultimately ended up winning. And so I ended up staying down there just mesmerized by it. And it was the like the most tangible example of what I'd been doing in my career, but I didn't realize like, oh yeah, this is like a thing that people do. And having it play off and see a comeback win 
like that. And if you watch Tom Brady play, he's hardest on himself. When he gets a pick, he is just so hard on himself. But when his team has something go wrong, every now and then you'll see him in their face. But most of the time, he's like, I'm going to throw it back to you again. And so that was my story. And I build in my book that's upcoming. There's a lot of leadership lessons that I roll up against a football analogy because I love football. So. So good. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And apologies to our friends in Atlanta who didn't want to relive that just now, but it's a great, it's a great leadership story. And I think more important today, we've got to have that ability to connect with people, you know, where they're at. So uh, really good. We actually, uh, you know, one of the popular parts of the, the podcast are our mystery questions. So we did go out into your inner circles and we found somebody pretty special. I want you to just listen in and then Hear the question and then tell us who this is, your relationship, and then have some fun with the question. Michelle, what was it like the first time you had to present to the competition committee to get their buy-in as well as their approval to bring tablets to the sideline? Wow, that's Troy Vincent. That's the Troy Vincent. Yes, it is. Hall of Fame football player, amazing athlete, amazing human being, and head of all football operations at the NFL. I'll answer the question first, and then I'll tell you a little bit my relationship with Troy. It's great that he was the mystery. It was pretty scary. So the competition committee is maybe the most powerful committee in football because they set the rules. They decide what's acceptable. Really, at the core of our great product is the game on the field, and that's what gets regulated by the competition committee. It's also sort of a bit of a secretive committee and that you don't get invited to it very often. And I had a funny beginning with the competition committee because my first NFL meeting, since no one really told me, and my assistant had put all meetings on my calendar I thought I was supposed to go to the competition committee. I get there early. I'm very excited. And I sit down, got my notebook out. In comes Troy. And he looks at me a little bit like, and then Roger comes in. And I can tell they're acting a little funny. And finally, Troy leans over and goes, why are you in here? (laughs) Am I not supposed to be? And by this time, it was filling in with all the heads of, you know, head coaches and, you know, owners. And I was kind of in the back. So it was like, not like I could escape without being noticed. And he's like, oh, just stay and hear what we do in here in this competition. So I did. So prior to that interaction, I'd never been in there. And then I had to go before them to sort of talk about how we wanted to make a change to take these paper printers off the sidelines that they had relied on forever that would print out sort of the play formation. It was basically a picture that was taken from a camera up above and printed to a printer and it got sort of overlaid so they could like mark up in a book the x and o's and who ran this way and who ran that way and dissect the play and they had I couldn't believe it when I got to the NFL and saw all these printers rolled out onto the sidelines but they loved their notebooks like a lot of coaches loved their notebooks like they had it filed the way they wanted they had their tabs the way they wanted And so I was trying to say, let's digitize this and put it on a device that we can give out and you can just flip through all the photos. You can even flip back and forth. And I even told them, hey, you could even have video on on this if you wanted it. And 
they were like, mm, you know, first of all, I'm not sure people would use it. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's a good idea, but I had a lot of support from Troy who was really chairing it around that we needed to evolve and that we felt like our younger players joining the league would just be looking at us like, are you crazy? You got a printer out here? And so they said, let's try it. Let's do Let's do a trial year where we keep the printers and we have the tablets and we see how usage goes. And boy, people put those books down and never looked back. And so we did one year together. And then the next year, we just eliminated the printers. And we had a few holdouts, like a couple of teams that just refused. And we're like, okay, we're going to give you the tablets. And if you want to keep your printers out there, you can, but we're not going to maintain them. And, you know, they break, you're on your own sort of thing. And uh, so eventually now you can't imagine watching a game without seeing the players using them. I mean, and people that have maybe just become a fan uh, in the last 10 years, you never know that they weren't always there. And so it was a scary moment because talking to these guys who were, you know, wondered why and, oh, is this just another thing to get sponsorship money? Is it really going to help me? That was the reaction. But in the end, they ended up doing it. It was great. Ralph Laura was on recently. We both know Ralph very well. And he said, the age old, he's sick of people talking about getting a seat at the table. He's like, if you want to see the table, pull up a chair. And I'm thinking, if you're Michelle McKenna, just show up to the meeting. <laughs> I, you know, I did feel a little embarrassed about it afterwards when I realized I wasn't supposed to be in there and no NFL staffer was in there, but yet I was sitting in there. And, but after that, you know, I, I did speak to Roger afterwards and say, God, I'm sorry. You know, it was just on my calendar. I didn't know. And he, and he said to me, I told you, you have to teach us what a CIO does. Come to any meeting you think you should be at. Wow. Wow. Unless it's called privileged one owner. We're going to talk about something we don't want you to know from a legal perspective. Otherwise, come to any meeting you want. And so that gave me permission to do it. And and Troy was also a great sponsor for me when I am so glad that he asked the question. We were both had joined the league at the same time uh, in 2012. And he had joined from working for the Players Association. And here he is, you know, a black senior executive. And I was the woman. We were the onlys at certain points in our lives. And he was in charge at that time of player engagement, how to keep players engaged with the league in a positive way. And he was having a similar challenge that I was having, which is people didn't know what to do with player engagement. They didn't know what to do with the CIO. And so I guess in a pure game of survivor, the two of us looked at each other and said, how can we help each other? And he said, well, I'm doing this player engagement thing. I need a website. And I'm like, hey, I can do websites. I'm a tech person. So my one of my first deliverables was building a website for Troy's player engagement and then that started a career of trust and him telling me things that were needed. And it, it led to centralizing officiating in the command center in New York, which wanted to be done for a long time, but no confidence that it would be done well. And so I love Troy and he's been a personal coach too. I, in my life, I've had some very low points. And at one of my low points, I was pretty sad and I was in my office every day trying not to cry and people didn't ever didn't know what to say. Come and give me a hug or whatever. And uh, Troy walked in one day and closed the door and gave me the best locker room speech 
that I've ever heard about my life. Like just, you know, stuff you would never hear in corporate America. Like he just told me like it was and get off your butt. Like you got a full life to live and all this. And he gave me a gift card for three free sessions at SoulCycle. And he said, you're going to hate this, but you must complete all three. Oh. And, and let me know when you're done and this will get you moving. Well, after the first one, I puked. It was hot and I was out of shape. But I called him and then I did the next two. And boy, did I learn to love Soul Cycle during that moment. And that's a human. That's someone that sees past your title and everything. So thanks for for getting Troy to ask the question. Yeah, well, thank you to, to Troy. And that whole tablet experience, I remember there was a certain coach who kind of took a fit on the side. It was, well, it was like big news, right? Can you give us the short version of that story? Maybe you know the name if you don't want to. Well, I think for those listeners who follow football, you might know who one of the toughest coaches to please is. Um, he <laughs> happens to have maybe the most winning record in football too. So something's working. Yeah, I mean, look, all of us as IT professionals know that user acceptance sometimes is a hard part. And we also know they can tell you that they don't accept it in many ways. In my case, I get to see when they don't like it by them throwing it on the field, literally. And you get the call it, to go have the conversation. Yes. And then I get the call from the sponsor who says, this coach just threw our product on the sidelines and we need you to stop him from doing that. And I'm like, well, you don't stop a head coach from having their moments, but I'll make a call to see if uh, I can get him to. And, uh, you know, what he decided to do is he uses the tablets, but he has someone else hold it. <laughs> and if you think about it, I think in the beginning he was frustrated about it, you know, connectivity and things like that. But I also think just like normal human nature you're sort of afraid of what you don't know and don't understand. And in a game where competitive advantage is everything, and if you think you've got a competitive advantage because you don't need a tablet, you have a brain that can remember every play. If all of a sudden you hand a tablet to someone that doesn't have that, you've just evened the playing field a little bit. And so I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that's why he doesn't like it. He's just so good on his own. And at the NFL, we make sure that everyone has the same level of technology. You can't give one team something the other one doesn't have. You can't allow them to do something the other one can't do. And so people try to grab competitive advantage however they can. And I do think those tablets were making others be able to do things. And this is a like sort of a side benefit that I didn't think of at the time. But as we've debated head coaches from a more diverse background or coaches from diverse backgrounds, the reason they haven't been getting the positions in a lot of cases is they don't have the experience. They haven't had the reps and they don't they didn't grow up under. And so giving them technology that helps them come up the curve faster is a way to also become a more diverse base for of employees and so not just in football but but in everything you can give people reps in things that they would never get using you know ar and um artificial intelligence so it's um it's an exciting time and i think he, he just demonstrated like that moment of wow you know He's, he's pretty pissed at this tablet right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Michelle gets to make the call. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall there. 
Uh, <laughs> I mentioned Troy Vincent. There was a young man named Jackie McKenna who helped me with this podcast, prepare and, and, and get Troy engaged during the football season, which is amazing that he did it, right? He's just so busy. Would I be twisting your arm to maybe tell us who Jackie McKenna is and what, what role he plays? No, every mom loves to talk about their kid. He'll probably cringe listening to it. But yes, Jackie is my son. And uh, Jackie and I, obviously, mother-son relationship. But I also happen to think he might be the smartest person I know. And I have recognized this from an early age. And I think he's an old soul. And I think as a young kid, in an, an old soul in a little kid's body was tough for him at times. And we developed a very strong relationship as he struggled through those awkward teenage years, middle school years, and the bully and the, you know, who knows. And I helped him structure and teach him to soar with his strengths and not let anyone tell him that he wasn't smart. And there was a moment where teachers were saying that, Maybe he should be in a different class and maybe he should be on a medication and things like that. And I ended up getting him tested and no, it was quite the opposite. He was gifted and he was bored and he needed challenge and all of that. So it feels like a real full circle moment for me because I am at this stage in my career where I'm a little bit not sure what I'm doing. I'm navigating a path I've never gone before. I don't have the structure of a day anymore like a typical day I would normally have because I'm not in an office doing my typical job. And the person that's helping me through it is my son. And he's co-writing my book with me. And he struck, he has helped me build a book structure. He knows what I'm trying to say, even if I can't put it in the right words. And I'm learning new vocabulary. And it's an amazing moment that we get to work together on this book. And he helps me in the collaborative, which I have formed to collaborate with other organizations as being really the creative director and helping me stay very creative in my creative pursuits. And in the meantime, he's also doing podcasts. He's got a few that are great and he produces and leads and hosts those. They're funny comedies as well as a parody, a sports talk one that is sort of a parody on sports podcasts, which is great called Sports Talk Now. That one's great. And then he's acting and the just I just saw him at the People's Improv Theater in New York where he and his troupe did some sketch comedy. So very proud of Jackie and very proud that where where he is in his life and that he's had that courage that I talked about to pursue your passion and to pursue a role and a job that frankly gets a lot of rejection. And so, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's cool. And I'm so glad that he can help me in this way professionally as well. That's neat. That's neat. Well, they say the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree or the peanuts. I don't know. They don't fall far from the tree, <laughs> Michelle. You know, one of the fun things we get to do, and, and great, you know, thank you again to Jackie. On the show, we have committed $125,000 in scholarships to nonprofits in the form of our nine-month leadership development program. So it's for IT. We like to give our guests the ability to gift a seat in that program to one of the STEM organizations they support. You're very active. But when you think about that, is there one of those organizations that you collaborate with you'd like to you'd like to gift that to? Yes, it's an organization called Perscolis, and it's a great tech-focused program that really targets young people in very underserved communities who may or may not have had the opportunity to be exposed 
to computer and or science and technology education. And this it's it's all paid for by this organization. And it's been a great program to create new talent in a time where we're desperately in need of technology talent. And so the or, we work together at the NFL and that organization. And that's great. I'm sure they will be so excited to choose someone from their program to be able to participate. That's fantastic. No, I love hearing that. We'll definitely uh, get them plugged in. That's P-E-R-S-C-H-O-L-A-S, right? So we'll get them on the website and promote them and their good work. Well, Michelle, good news and bad news. Bad news is that we're, we're winding down the podcast. The good news is next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, we're going to spend some more time together and we're going to publish a blog on CI.com. So I want people to go read that. We're going to talk about the four pillars of your book. I want to dig deeper into that. There's some really great leadership wisdom there. We'll dig more into your stories and your, your leadership journey. So thank you for, um, this was so fun. The time flew and you have an amazing story. Can't wait to see what happens with your business, your book, and what's next. So all the best to you. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talks about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhisperers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.